Hey, my name's Matthew Lee, and this is my story. The greatest influence of me coming to my faith in Jesus, I would have to say it was my parents. They were always there for me. They came alongside of me, and they really poured into my life and inspired me to always stay in church. But not just to stay in church, but to uh, pursue a relationship with Jesus. So I was in the WANA program at Lindsay Lane, Maine. I was uh, actually going through my WANA lessons one night, and uh, Jesus had been speaking to me in my heart. And as my dad came in to review the lesson with me, I asked him what it meant to be a Christian. It meant I had to have a relationship with Jesus. And he walked me through that process right there. I'm Bailey Lee, and this is my story. So my parents prayed for me probably as soon as they knew I existed about my salvation and about you know my relationship with God. And they not only talked to me frequently about my faith, but showed me their faith through me coming out from my bedroom in the mornings and seeing my mom reading her Bible in the recliner or seeing how they served in church. Um, it was always a really big influence on my own walk with God. So I accepted Christ when I was six years old and um, it was just one night after being at church, you know, I had been hearing about what it meant to be a Christian and at that time I knew that's exactly what I wanted. Through my parents and my siblings and just other mentors at my church really grew from there to really the relationship that I have with God today. We met in high school. We both very early on in our relationship talked about how our relationship with God was important and how we wanted to put that first. I kind of went through a little bitty period there where I was being influenced by the world a lot more than uh, those in the church. A lot of what got me through that hard time in my life was all of the people who had poured into me as a child and um, throughout middle school, throughout high school, people who never gave up on me. And it's really encouraging and inspiring to me to be able to get to give back to others in that same fashion. I think we're both really grateful for the fact that we get to volunteer with North Kids because I know that my life could have been completely different if I didn't have the influence that I had from people at church, from my parents um, at such a young age. I feel like we get so much out of the lessons that we're trying to teach to them as well. It's something that has grown my relationship through teaching younger kids too. The Bible says, train up a child in the way of the Lord and they shall not depart for it. That's been true for both of us. And we just love the fact that we're able to come alongside children at Lindsay Lane North and uh, pass that along to the next generation. Amen. Man, I don't, I don't know of any two clear demonstrations of Healthy churches come from healthy families. And uh, man, I'm so thankful that you get the opportunity to see as this uh, child dedication service and get to hear the testimony of two. Um, and, and what I love about that is every time I, I hear these testimonies, I, I hear things differently. What I love about that is, is they don't currently have children, but they are investing in North Kids. Listen, if you have ever picked up a kid here on Wednesday night, you know the level of sacrifice that they are making uh, to uh, pour into these kids. And uh, man, what an incredible, incredible legacy of faith that that is. That they, that that is. I, I love because I, I, you hear in that them passively observing the rhythms of their parents' life, her w watching her mom 
reading her Bible and spending time with the Lord and serving at church. Those weren't things that were intentionally done. Hey, we need to do these things. Hey, hurry quick, babe. Let's, let's, let's set the scene and make it look like we're reading our Bible real quick so when our daughter walks out, right? It's just a normal rhythm of life for them. I think about every time I descended my, from the, my upstairs room as a kid and my mom would be sitting right there in, the recline, in her little rocker reading a psalm and a word for you today and then she would kneel beside our couch and pray every single day. And there is an incredible testimony there and your children watching you serve the Lord, watching you pursue and fellowship with him. But then there was intentionality too, right? Matthew's story, his dad was working through, probably memorizing scripture, I would imagine, right? That's, that's, that's heavy. That's, that's, some, that's some big time stuff in Awanas and probably memorizing scripture. And right then, boom, the intentionality led to a, to a conversation about a relationship with Christ. Uh, I love that picture. That's, that's the culture of our church. And what I realized, because I relate to their story, I, that is my story. I've told people before I've given, been given the greatest foundation of faith of any person I've ever met. If I go wrong, y'all, the last thing that you can do is wag a finger toward Lick Skillet because it ain't their fault. It's mine. It's on me. But they left a legacy in my life, and they didn't deprive me of a testimony. They enriched my testimony that I get the opportunity to have grown in Christ for 34 years because of what my family has invested in me. And, and listen, y'all, I know, train up a child in the way that should go when he's old and not depart from it. Look, I don't believe that is to be understood as a universal truth. Some of you might disagree with me, and that's fine, all right? I believe it's a wisdom saying. I believe it's important that we understand in the context that it's written, right? Train up a child in the way that they should go when it's old. When they're old, they will not depart from it. But I believe it is there is wisdom in raising a child in the way that they should go. There is wisdom in pointing them to Jesus, either in your routine rhythms of your own life or in intentionally investing time, effort, and resources and energy into that. And so we are continuing our series entitled, This Is My Story. What I'll say to that as a segue is if men... You know our vision that we have presented, that I have presented towards discipleship. If you want to be a part of the men's ministry arm of this discipleship process, that begins tonight. All right, we are going to be meeting at Conrad and Brenna Bonner's house. I will be leading our study and experiencing God, leading through the first week. And you say, well, I didn't do the first week. That's fine. Show up anyway. Get you a book, get ready to participate, and we want to see you there. Man, I, I can, there is, it is amazing how many, I've gone through experiencing God three different times, and it is amazing how God has radically transformed me in the context that I was living in in my spiritual journey every time that I went through that. And so if you haven't done that, or if you have, please consider participating in that, and then the women are meeting as well. They met last Sunday, so they'll meet next Sunday uh, as well. So make sure that you're a part of that. But if you would open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1, we find the story of a young man who has a testimony similar to what you've seen and heard demonstrated today. 
a young man by the name of Samuel, whose legacy of faith does not begin with him. And like all of us, by the way, our story of faith, what we learned in our home group studies as we've gone through this combo series is the story does not begin with us. God's story is where it begins. That God is the beginning of all of our testimonies, right? If you have come to a relationship with Christ, it is not because you have pursued God, it is because God has pursued you. And so he receives the glory for it. But in the same way, here in the Old Testament, we find the life of a young man whose legacy of faith played a major role in his own faith in his life. And so let's look first at the encounter. The encounter, the same outline that we find in each of the two stories before and we'll find next week as well. The encounter of this young man with a relationship with the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. There was a certain man, bear with me, of Ramathiam Zophim. And I thought being from Lickskill it was rough. Of the hill, count, hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephraithite. He had two wives. The names of the one was Hannah, the name of the other, uh, Penina, sorry. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Story of Samuel begins in a testimony of a barren woman. A woman named Hannah who though she was loved by her husband, and I will provide some of this context, I encourage you to go back and read it. Though she was loved by her husband even more than the other wife, though she was loved by her husband, had no children. And though the husband may have been trying to overcompensate, and uh, when they would go, they would go yearly to make sacrifices. They were good, devout Hebrew people. They would go and they would make sacrifices to the Lord. And when they would go, when they would make a burnt offering, part of the animal was given back so that they could enjoy it in a fellowship offering. And they would feast together as a family. That the husband would give Hannah a double portion in order to encourage her, right? This obviously showing favoritism, especially when it's with your multiple wives, probably ill-advised fellas. I would say the problem would probably start before that. Um, but definitely showing favoritism, not a great idea because this caused bitterness. And this other woman would begin to inflict harm on Hannah because of her barrenness. She would use it against her. Though, though her husband favored Hannah over her, she would act treacherously, is what the scripture says, with her, and it would lead Hannah down a spiraling depression. We find her there in Samuel chapter 1, verse 9. Hannah has... Been in all the festivities, but she is not feeling very festive. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, this was where the presence of God is. This is predates the movement of the presence of God into Jerusalem. Remember when David danced naked, right? This is before all that, all right? So he, the presence of God rested temporarily at Shiloh. 
And so they went, and they, when they had drunk, eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. After they had Eaten, excuse me, I did this in the first service. Apparently, I've copied and pasted wrong. All right, look at verse 13. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you like any good pastor. When somebody stumbles up in here, what are you doing, right? He intervenes. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. This You see the turmoil in her heart over not being able to have a child. Then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went away. And listen what it says of her. She went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. The word of Eli was confirmation and she believed God in faith and was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The word Samuel literally means God hears. God has heard my cry. Now, we have to be careful how we apply texts of scripture like this. If we're not careful, we'll look at this exchange and go, well... Hannah just did what I did when my team was losing the football game the other week. If you will allow my football team to win, dear Lord, I will be in church the next morning. If you will guide the football through the goalposts, I will tithe. This is not what Hannah was doing. When we make leaps like that, We use very poor hermeneutics. We use very poor Bible study skills. Though that may sound consistent, it's not. Because what we're actually doing is basing future obedience on God's faithfulness. And that is not how it works. 
We don't lock God into a deal to be obedient in the future as long as he meets our list of demands today. What we see from Hannah, what we see from her family, Hannah's obedience was already on the table. Her faithfulness was already out there. That she was pouring out her heart to the Lord, but it was in the right order. Her yes was on the table, but she was pouring out her heart because of the great loss that she felt. But there's another reason why we cannot apply it in this way. For us to live like we are waiting on God to prove some faithfulness to us, though that happened in the Old Testament. Look at Gideon. What did Gideon do? He put the fleece before the Lord, right? All right, Lord, if the ground is dry and the fleece is wet, then I'll believe you're for us. Okay, that happened just to make sure the fleece needs to be dry, the ground wet this time. That happened as well. And so I've heard people say, well, then we need to put fleeces before the Lord. As long as we are living before Christ, that's appropriate. The problem is we live in New Testament times and God's already proven his faithfulness. You don't have to test if God is with you or not. He has given us Emmanuel, God with us. He has proven his faithfulness. He doesn't need to perform any signs or wonders for you. Our faithfulness is experienced by grace through faith. But that's exactly what we see in Hannah. Hannah didn't believe God the moment she conceived. She went away glad because she believed God and believed the word from his messenger. Believed God, and then he provided. He remembered her. Where Hannah, there are some takeaways, right, from this text. Hannah went, took her troubles to the Lord. God has called us to do that. Come ye all who are weak, weary, and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you are carrying a load that you feel like you can't carry, guess what? You can't. And I don't care how noble of a load that feels. I don't care if it's the weight of a ministry. I don't care if it's the weight of a family. I don't care if it's the weight of an entire church. Now I'm preaching where I'm at. Jesus has borne that weight. You didn't die for your family. Jesus did. And we can trust him and have faith that he knows what he's doing. So they believed. She believed the Lord. What a legacy of faith. And God blessed and gave her a son. 1 Samuel 1, verse 24. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull and an ephah of flour and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was very young. And then they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman. (laughs) This is funny. I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. And you thought I was drunk. Remember that? Dummy. Right? You better believe there was some subtlety, some passive aggressiveness in them eyes. Right? Right? 
You misread God moving in my life, man of God. Right? Do you remember that? For this child, I have prayed, and the Lord has granted me the petition that I made to him. Well, I see that in so many posts and so many things, that verse. But it comes in the context of faithfulness. Do not forget that. It comes in the context of incredible faith for God to move. And I would dare say it comes from the heart of a woman who was ready to receive no as an answer. Even if God hadn't provided, I believe she would have still been distressed, she would have still been sad, but he would have been enough. I believe that. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. What we see in the life of Samuel is parents that at a very young age devoted their child to the Lord. Probably no older than the age of three. Now, I've often wondered how much Eli was really thankful that Hannah brings a toddler to be watched under his care. Like, I don't have the sins of the entire nation to worry about. You bring me a toddler. Great. Thanks, Hannah. Right? Getting me back for the whole drunk woman comment, right? Well, I don't, I don't know how all that went down, but I know that according to Numbers 8, you could not administer the roles of the priesthood until you were 25, so from three to 25, he at least lived periods of his life in the temple because we find him there in 1 Samuel chapter two, right? And perhaps maybe his entire life, it says in the scripture that they would visit him yearly, leading us to believe he was under the care of Eli from three to 25. What an incredible sacrifice because God is faithful and he was worthy. According to Numbers 8, you could only serve as priest at 25, but he was under the understudy of Eli until that time. What scripture also tells us is in 1 Samuel chapter 2, 21, Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now, again, Growing in the presence of the Lord in the Old Testament, you get their tale to church. You get to the temple because that is where God's presence rests. Growing your children in the presence of the Lord doesn't mean only having them here every time the doors of this church are open. This church does not house the presence of the Lord. This building, this brick and mortar does not house the presence of God unless the temples, the New Testament temples of God happen to be here. So how do you get unrestricted? How do you grow in the presence of God? Paul would tell the church at Corinth, do you not know that you yourselves are the temple of the living God? Parents, 
we want to encourage, we want to engage your child, your teenager, your young adult. We want to engage them with the gospel. But if the only presence of God they are getting is from us on a Sunday or a Wednesday, they will be completely malnourished in their spiritual walk. You possess the same spirit of God that rests in this place now if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. How do I ensure that my kids grow up in the presence of God? They see daddy living a life that looks like God has invaded this temple. That's how I do it. And sometimes that looks intentional and sometimes they just observe it from the overflow of my life. But if my kids have a bad understanding of what it means to be in the presence of God, it is not because the church did it to them. It's because I did it to them. God has called me to ensure that my children, that Maddie, that Hudson, that Cooper grow up in the presence of God. And that doesn't happen in a location. It happens in my heart. And it happens in yours. You want your children to grow? You want to set them up for success? There's a lot of legacy that we spend a lot of time trying to leave to our kids. So it said of Samuel, can it be said of your children? Not they grew in their bank account. Not they grew in their career. Not they grew in their popularity or their fame. Their social status. He grew in the presence of the Lord. That's the only thing that matters. That's it. And I get wrapped up in things just like you do. I get wrapped up in my kid not playing as much as I'd like him to play on a Saturday morning. I get wrapped up in him not performing the way that I would like him to perform, not behaving the way that I would like him to behave. But all of that stuff is incredibly secondary to the primary thing that they grow up in the presence of God, that they understand what it means to experience God in a fresh and new way that comes from me and no one else. He grew in the Lord. 1 Samuel 2, 26. So that's what Hannah did, right? I mean, that's a big sacrifice. Like, hey, I'm not gonna raise my kid. You are. Why? Because I want him to be in the presence of God. That's a huge sacrifice. It's gonna be a sacrifice for us as well. That means saying no to some things that we've said yes to. That requires sacrifice. Sometimes just as painful, if not more, than what Hannah was giving up. But it was important that they grew up in the presence of the Lord. 1 Samuel 2, 26 tells us that he grew in stature and in favor with the Lord and men. Sounds like Luke 2, doesn't it? Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. So what is said of Samuel. Secondly, we see an engagement. That's the faith of Hannah more than anything, making sure that her child experienced the presence of God. But Hannah did not cause her child to follow Jesus. That was a decision Samuel must make. And so God intervened in his life, engaged him where he was. Samuel 3, 
Verse one. Now the boy Samuel was ministering in the tem- in, in, uh, ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, right as his understudy. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Let me stop there for a second. Explain why. Samuel was living in the period of the judges. In the period of the judges, it is said of that time that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So they followed their own hearts and they followed their own desires and the own things that were important to them. That's what they pursued with their whole life. Let me tell you something. If we spend our life selfishly pursuing whatever it is that we want to pursue, we can guarantee the voice of God will be rare in our day. Can guarantee it. That's why we're in the shape we're in. But he pursued, God pursued him as he was ministering in the presence of the Lord. And so in the time of the judges, when the word of God was rare, when the word of God didn't get spoken a whole lot, heaven was relatively silent. So silent, in fact, when God actually spoke, Eli missed it with Hannah and he missed it with Samuel. He missed it. He didn't even realize that it was that rare. At the time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God was not yet gone, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, here I am. Right? He got it. Nope, not exactly. He ran to Eli, and he said, here I am. You called me. But he said, I did not call you, lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and he went to Eli and he said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, dadgummit, I'm old, I need my sleep. I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. And we've just heard the word of God was rare in that day. And the Lord called Samuel a third time. And he arose and he went to Eli and he said, here I am for you called me. And then blind old man finally got it. The light bulb, ping. He finally perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go and lie down, for if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and he laid down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. And then the Lord spoke to Samuel. A rare occurrence in a generation of unfaithfulness. Samuel heard from the Lord. What did he hear? Behold, I am doing a thing in Israel. The Lord began to show him what God thought about all that was going on in Israel. A fresh word from the Lord for God's people. Despite how faithful his mother had been and his father as well, God spoke to Samuel as he was living out his own faithfulness. As he was seeking to serve the Lord, the voice of the Lord had not been revealed to him yet. He didn't understand. He didn't know. 
Eli helped in that process, but then God spoke to Samuel. God spoke to him. The reason why we have that child dedication service and not a child salvation service is because I can't guarantee the salvation of children that have not understood that they are a sinner in need of a savior and have not responded to the grace and the hope that is found in Christ Jesus. That's a decision that they're going to make for themselves because it's a personal relationship. The faith of mom and daddy don't do it. And so God must call each of us individually and draw each of us to himself. And let's not romanticize this. The encounter that he had was for a really bummer of a message. You know what he told Samuel? Samuel, tell Eli that your sons are gonna die and then you're gonna die and your priesthood is over, big boy. That's the message, not some spiritual epiphany, not something that leaves everybody on a Sunday morning walking away floating on air. Your kids are gonna die. Although, he wasn't saying anything that Eli hadn't already been told. Eli knew it was gonna happen. He knew the consequences. And so let's look thirdly at the effect. 1 Samuel 3. Verse 19, and Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. You know what happens when we grow children up in the presence of the Lord? They see it. They experience it. The Lord draws them. And though it may not be a promise to stand on necessarily, this is the story of Samuel. The Lord was with him because of the faith legacy that his mother and his father left in him, because of his individual response to the calling of God, and let not one of his words fall to the ground. That means everything that Samuel ever predicted would happen, he didn't predict, God did, and God proved that it was what he was saying because nothing happened that Samuel didn't predict. And anything that Samuel predicted came to pass. Samuel served in a very unique time in Israel's history. He was the last judge. He was the one that put the quietest on the everyone does what is right in their own eyes. He put a stop to that. Why? Because he didn't have to listen to what was right in his own eyes. He had seen the Lord. He had experienced God. He had a fresh word for his people. And so he led the people of Israel as a judge out of this time and period where everyone did what was right in their own eyes and Israel was powerless and in this limbo in la-la land. He led them out of that into the monarchy, into this period where Saul would be anointed as king. It would be Samuel who would anoint him. So he wasn't just a judge, but he was a prophet. He foretold what was going to happen and not one word that he said fell to the ground. God fulfilled every one of the words that he said, but he was also a priest. He was a priest in that he would anoint King Saul reluctantly. By the way, go back and look at it. I didn't know this until I studied this. He didn't anoint Saul as king. Go back and read it for yourself. Samuel did not did not anoint Saul as king. He anointed him as prince. Go back and look at it. You know why? God was king. Samuel would not 
have reversed the word of the Lord. But he appointed Saul as a providential leader, as a, as a provisional leader to the side, even though God was the true leader of Israel. That was a public coronation. That was a public anointing. That was a public thing. But then God would call Samuel to a little town of Bethlehem. Hey, this Saul guy, I've removed my anointing from him. But one of the sons of Jesse, I need you to go and see. And so we went. And there was a parade of Jesse's family. Here's son number one and two and three and four. And as far as Samuel knew, that was the only sons he had. He didn't even think to mention the little shepherd boy in the field. And Samuel said, there's got to be more. God has called me here. There's got to be more. And they called David in. And Samuel would anoint the king through which the blessings of the Messiah would come. David would receive the blessing that would lead ultimately to the foretelling of the Messiah who would come and meet the needs of the entire world. Samuel played a crucial role. It was his family's faith. It was his mother's faith, but it was his faith as well. Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as the prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So not only did he hear once from God and he was like, good luck, buddy. But in a day where the word of God was rare, Samuel talked to God frequently. God revealed his words to him again and again and again and again. And Samuel led with incredible conviction and incredible power the people of Israel. This is Samuel's testimony. What about yours? I don't know if you are Samuel in this story. Maybe you've been given a great legacy of faith, but maybe you've never owned it for yourself. Maybe it's time today to surrender that. Or maybe you're convicted by the obedience of Hannah. Maybe God is calling you to return to him. Maybe God's calling you for the very first time so that you can lead your family reverse generational disobedience and curses and usher them into a new age of blessing. Whatever the case may be, I pray that you would do whatever it is that God has called you to do in this moment. Is this your story? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, there is no way to leave a legacy of faith in your family and your loved ones and your friend groups. No way to do that outside of faith, individual faith in the Lord. And so if you're here and you need to make a decision for Christ, young, old, in between, I wanna invite you to come. When I say amen, you can come find this center aisle. I would love to talk to you about how you can know that you have that relationship with Christ. Get that settled before you leave today.
but maybe you need to get serious. Get serious about your walk. For you, but not just for you. For those that are desperately looking to you to point them to Jesus, to grow them up in the presence of the Lord. Maybe that's biological children. Maybe that, like the Lee, is an intentional investment in the generation to come. In the meantime, whatever that looks like. And don't, don't brush this off. Don't disregard it. Or plan on obedience another day. To let today be the day of decision. Father, this is your invitation. Move in our hearts and our lives. And you, we, you draw us to yourself. We love you. We thank you for what you're doing in our life. We thank you for what you're doing in our families. We thank you for what you're doing in this church. Let's not hinder it. God, with our disbelief, let us not hinder it. With our inaction, let us follow you where you lead. May our yes be on the table. Whatever that looks like in this time of response today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we sing? This time is for you to respond however it is the Lord would lead you to respond in this moment. This is your time to respond to him.